Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings. We've got a fantastic guest today with Carrie Baker, and joining me as co-hosts today are Martha from Boston Red Cloaks, Michelle from Boston Red Cloaks, Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. So. Carrie, we're really excited. You're both the president of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts, and you are also a professor at Smith College and director for the study of women and gender at Smith. We have so many things to talk about. <laughs> Great. Before we get into the serious part of conversation, you must tell us how you came to set up that video about bowling for abortion rights. <laughs> you saw that? <laughs> I had a lot of fun creating that video. Oh my God, it's hilarious. I, I didn't have time to send it out to anybody except uh, Jesse and, and Mar Martha. I'm going to send it out to the world when we get off the conversation. That's so funny. Describe it because they haven't had a chance to see it yet. Oh, absolutely. So um, one of the fundraisers for the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts is a bowl-a-thon every year. But because of COVID, we couldn't have it at a bowling alley. So we decided to make a virtual bowl-a-thon and people were supposed to create videos in their homes of them bowling and get, you know, pledges and support for the fund. So I set up bowling pins that were different sorts of barriers to abortion like the Hyde Amendment or parental consent or 24-hour waiting periods or, you know, mandatory ultrasounds. And so I set them up like they were bowling pins and I used an array of balls and footballs and, you know, tennis balls, any balls I had in the house. And I would sort of clock all of the restrictions. It was great <laughs> fun. And uh, then at the end, I went back and added a soundtrack. So it was, uh, it, it was and I, so I made the video and posted it on Instagram and Facebook. And that's what we asked all of the participants to do. What a clever idea. I thought at the end, you were actually picking up rocks. <laughs> I might have been actually. I, I was really mad. I really wanted to get that Hyde Amendment knocked down. I <laughs> know <laughs> there was a lot of energy, a lot of energy in that. Maybe we can talk a little bit about overall how the fund got set up. We understand it was started in 1988 as a small kind of kitchen table effort to have two women be able to access abortion health care. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it was one of the very first abortion funds in the country. We now have over 80 across the country and there's a national network of abortion funds. But at the time, it was one of the very first. And it was because people looked around and realized that, you know, yes, abortion's legal, but because insurance wouldn't cover it or the Hyde Amendment meant that Medicare couldn't cover it, that we needed to help each other. And so a group got together, raised funds and began to help other people who needed support to access abortion care. You know, the legal right is not enough. You also have to have access. You need to have the resources to be able to actually go and get the medical services that you need. So we've been working now for over 30 years, raising money and we have a hotline where people can call if they you know for whatever reason can't make their deductible or they're they just moved in from out of state and they don't have health insurance and there's not enough time to get on mass health or they're an immigrant who doesn't have access to health insurance so they call our hotline and we answer and and support them and we over half of our 
people that call are from Massachusetts, but then we also support other people in New England and even across the, the nation. And there's a tremendous need right now because of all the barriers that are being, being put in place to accessing abortion care. And it means that the price of care goes up. People can't get it as quickly, so they're later in their pregnancies and you know the cost of abortion goes up later in pregnancy or um, you know they have to travel longer distances. Um, so there's a lot of need out there and we're trying to meet that. Of course, you know our ultimate goal is to get the Hyde Amendment uh, removed and to get um, restrictions on abortion coverage and insurance removed, but we're a long way from that. How does it feel in Western Massachusetts? Because you have a list of clinics on the website, both in English and in Spanish. We've talked to someone in the Cape where actually there, there's not great access in the Cape. People actually, as you said, have to take off time from work in a very different way because they've got to drive a considerable distance. It's not a quick doctor appointment, even to have a consultation. What's it like in Western Mass? And there are limited numbers of providers. There are some people that will provide abortions, but they don't advertise it. Okay. So, you know, some of our major providers are Planned Parenthood in Springfield, but it, it can be difficult. People will have to travel and it's unfortunate. I mean, ideally every doctor would provide, especially medication abortion, you know, which is very easy. And the majority of first trimester abortions now are medication abortion, meaning the abortion pill. You can take it in the first 10 weeks and it's, um, you know, very easy. Um, there's a campaign to try to fight so that doctors can just mail those pills to their patients, mm. um, which has been restricted under um, FDA regulations for a long time now. Um, you know, but especially during COVID, you know, if people could just be mailed the pill and not even have to go into the doctor's appointment, that would be ideal. And there's a lot of activism around that. But we're not there yet. And so, yeah, people do, especially if they live in more rural areas in Western Massachusetts, they can have to drive several hours to get to a provider and that, you know, take more time off work or have to get childcare for their kids in the meantime. Um, you know, 60% of people getting abortions already have children that they're having to take care of. So, um, you know, these are kind of the kind of barriers that make it hard to access abortion. You recently wrote uh, or published, had published uh, a letter to the editor about the anti-abortion arguments against the abortion pill. Could you talk to us about that? Oh, yeah. That was an article I wrote for Ms. Magazine. And it was based, yeah, it was based on a report of anti-abortion groups where they're talking about how dangerous abor the abortion pill is, which is not true at all. And they call it chemical abortion to make it sound scary. It's actually one of the safest medications, safer than Viagra, which is handed out like candy <laughs> with no restrictions and uh, five times safer than Viagra, by the way. Mm. And um, so, you know, they, try to portray medication abortion as dangerous. They try to portray it as um, something that people use irresponsibly, but it's just not true. Um, it's, it's, you know, trying to make it sound scary when it's not. It's, it's quite safe and it's quite easy. I love that you have a Ms. connection here in this group. Yes, yeah, I'm a regular writer for Ms. Magazine and oh. I've been writing for them for about 10 years. I worked at Ms. in New York. Really? Years. Yes, yes. Um, I, 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 w I worked in the advertising department, which was pretty tough trying yes. to get trying to get advertising into that magazine. Uh, the 
the liquor companies were really happy to advertise. With yes, us. yes. <laughs> and the cars. But if you try to get anything quote unquote pretty, like perfume or makeup or pantyhose, wow, there was such resistance because feminists aren't pretty. <laughs> don't dress nicely. Feminists, you know, feminists hate men. Uh, so I was there while it was still a monthly publishing enterprise with uh, with advertising. We still we still got it, but it was quite it was quite a trip. News Magazine now is a nonprofit. It doesn't have commercial advertising, and it's funded by the Ms. community, who are who are members of Ms. and they get the magazine as being a member, as well as other benefits. So it's it's yeah. a wonderful magazine. It's thriving, um, and luckily they don't have to worry about advertising anymore. I know. I know. So where can we get that magazine? So Google Ms. Magazine com uh, and you can order it online it's comes it's a quarterly now but then they have a very active website um, and uh, the article that Karen spoke about I published on their website and they have great coverage of abortion rights um, issues and contraception and I just wrote an article about a woman out in California who um, had a stillbirth and is now being criminally prosecuted. And yeah, so there's a lot of really good material on MsMagazine.com. Mm -hmm. Well, Ms. has moved forward into 2020, whereas the state laws in Massachusetts really haven't come all the way. Yeah. So we still have these definitions that are archaic, written in 1974, where abortion is very narrowly defined with a value-laden judgment rather than science or medicine being the core of, you know, the definition section of any statute is the core of how we interpret the laws around that subject. You've become a partner or supporter with the Roe Coalition in yeah. trying to help get the Roe Act passed. How did you get connected with the statewide effort? So as president of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts, as someone involved with Planned Parenthood Advocacy Fund. I heard about the coalition early on and loved the idea of having a coalition of organizations from across the state that could work together, coordinate, reach legislators and community members across the state to try to make the Roe Act pass. And so I've been involved with that coalition now for, I guess, I don't know how long, since pretty, pretty early on, over a year. It's been a wonderful supportive community to share ideas, to, to support each other's efforts. We've heard that there are some fake clinics here in Massachusetts. How can we find out if the clinic we are looking is a safe one or a reputable one? Yes, absolutely. There are what use, people used to call them crisis pregnancy centers, but they now call them fake clinics because that's what they are. They're fake. They're not real clinics. Um, they often don't have doctors or nurses, anybody who's a qualified medical professional, and they're all about just trying to pressure women and people who are pregnant out of having abortions. And they do this through misrepresentation, through by misleading people, by giving them false information about abortion and about um, the status of their health. It can be quite dangerous, actually. They'll often tell a woman that she's much earlier in her pregnancy than she really is. And then she'll miss you know, getting an early abortion because she'll think she's earlier than she is. So um, yes, 
NARAL put out a report about a year ago of these fake pregnancy clinics around the state. And so maybe you can provide your listeners with a link to that report. We get callers. I had a caller just the other day, I was on the phone and she said that she had called an organization called something like, you know, Choices. And then they tried to persuade her out of getting an abortion. And I said, oh, that wasn't an abortion clinic. That was one of these fake clinics. And luckily she persisted and was able to find Planned Parenthood and was able to get the services, the healthcare that she needed. But this is a huge problem. There are thousands of these fake quote unquote clinics across the country and hundreds here in the state of Massachusetts, many more than there are real clinics. And they're, they're very much about trying to uh, mislead people and it can be very dangerous. Thank you. Speaking about the Roe Act, how can the, how can the Act support women who can't afford abortion care? You know, one of the lesser spoken about prongs of the Roe Act is relating to covering people who can't afford abortion. And, um, you know, but there's other aspects of it too. There's the parental consent. There's, as Jesse was saying, the provisions about clarifying the definitions and getting rid of language that's archaic language. There's getting rid of the 24-hour waiting period, which is still on the books, although not enforceable because the courts have struck it down. But to get that off the books is important. And the really important provision of if you are after 24 weeks and you have a diagnosis of fatal fetal anomaly, currently you have to go out of state to get healthcare. But under the Roe Act, you are able to get in-state care. And that's a hugely important part um, of the Roe Act. I heard one woman say that, uh, who was faced with that, and she and her husband worked really, really hard to make their decision. And they, when they realized that, that this fetus would, uh, if born, would never even be able to sleep because it would be in so much pain, hmm. she felt as she prepared $25,000, got ready to go to Colorado, that the entire medical profession in the state of Massachusetts had turned its back on her. Absolutely. That's a terrifying feeling. Suppose you, you know, had a gallbladder problem and suddenly you couldn't get gallbladder coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's, it's astounding what would people do. And it's only more urgent right now with COVID because that person in that position now has to go out of state uh, during COVID, potentially exposing themselves to the virus to get the care that they need. And I'd say it's, it's really legislators that have failed us because they're the ones that have put in place these laws that are, rest- I mean, the doctors aren't allowed to give those services. It's the, it's the political leaders in our state that have failed to, um, you know, allow the provision of those necessary medical services. So is there any way that we could educate our representatives to give the basic knowledge about how the body of a woman works so they can make the best decisions for a woman? Is there a way to put them somewhere and give them the basics so they do the best of their job? 
It's interesting that you say that because I think over the last several years, we've really learned that a lot of politicians don't have even the most basic understanding of female anatomy, how the organs work, how menstruation works, how pregnancy works, what pregnancy is. Um, and I, I think that maybe we should pass a law requiring every legislator to have a class in basic human anatomy because they clearly don't understand it. And it would help not only in the area of reproduction, but in the area of sexual assault, which is another area that I work in. Remember the legislator who said that women couldn't get pregnant from rape? I mean, that legislator, again, needs a basic education in the body to, you know, because that's completely false. Every time we talk about this, I come out with this point, but if there is a way to make a petition to ask them, I'm the first person to go do it and tell them. I'll they join need you. To know. <laughs> they need to know. I agree. So Carrie, it's amazing talking to you. We would love to have you back on for a second conversation if that's possible. Sure, absolutely. All right, awesome. We'll look forward to talking to you again. Okay, thank you.